Hey friends, welcome back to It Takes a Village. My name is Mark Gent. I'm on staff here at Healing Hands International based out of Nashville. We are so grateful that you've joined us for another episode as we kick off season three, which is crazy. We started this podcast a year ago and we've had some really awesome guests from a variety of sectors. We've had international partners around the world, ministers from local churches, executives from nonprofits. And we've also had on some of our own staff uh, on the podcast who have been able to share the story of our own ministry here at Healing Hands. A common thread that we strive for in all of our conversations with our friends have been asking them to share their story, their story of faith and what points them to Jesus, and asking them who is their village, who is their community. We want to find out what they do, but more importantly, we want to know who they are. Over the past year, we've released 20 episodes that we've broken up into two seasons, and we're excited about our lineup and what lies ahead over the next few months. We release a new episode about every two weeks. So whether you're a faithful veteran listener who subscribes or whether you just found us and are tuning in for the first time, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Hopefully you'll learn something new and be encouraged. You can go back and listen to previous episodes and subscribe and stay with us from here. As we launch into season three, we have invited Dr. Candace McQueen on the podcast. In the summer of 2021, she was appointed as the 18th president of Lipscomb University, which we do often refer to here on the podcast as several of our guests have Lipscomb ties, but it's also right here in Nashville. And it's where the roots of Healing Hands date back to when we were founded in 1991 in a Lipscomb marketing class. Some of you will know who she is and know her background and story, but for those who don't, I'm excited for you to listen to my conversation with Dr. Candace McQueen. Candace McQueen, welcome to the podcast. We are so grateful that you took time to join us. Well, thank you. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, well, we are really glad that you are kicking off season three of It Takes a Village podcast, and we're going to dive into a lot of different topics today to get to know you and Lipscomb and uh, just what lies ahead. I do want to say, um, I mentioned this a minute ago, right when you came in here, but for our listeners, I think they need to know we've done, had 20 different episodes. We've had amazing guests who's been on, but you hold the record of having the quickest response time to accept our invitation. I'm so glad to have that record. I hope to see that like a medal on the wall. There will be a plaque in our hallway for <laughs> sure. For sure. Well, later in the podcast, we're going to talk about this unexpected 30 year partnership between Healing Hands and Lipscomb that uh, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary, and it's all because of what took place at Lipscomb back in the fall of 1991. So we'll get into that here towards the end. But first, we, so we started this podcast a year ago, and it's really just storytelling. Like, we want to get to know people from different sectors. So we want to get to know people from local nonprofits and church leaders. We have some of our international partners who are on, and we tell the story of Healing Hands throughout uh, but you're our first educator. That, that's another first you have. 
So well, I'm pleased to to represent educators. Some of the the best and brightest across the country are our educators. They are. So you also represent the nonprofit sector a little bit. I mean, obviously, with it being Lipscomb, Walt Lever, your colleague mm-hmm. and friend of ours, was on the podcast a few weeks ago. So, um, but because here in Nashville, Healing Hands and Lipscomb have a lot of close ties, there's just a lot of Lipscomb mentions that have been a part of our uh, first two seasons in these first 20 episodes. So just as we launch into season three, uh, you were at the top of our list of somebody, hey, she's a year in to this role, and let's get to know her, let's get to know your story, let's get to know what's happening at Lipscomb and in higher education, and uh, so we look forward to the next few minutes and seeing what that holds. So you're not a first-time podcaster, this is, this, uh, this is old hat for you. Well, I am thrilled to be here with Healing Hands. I have been a fan of the work that you've done for a long, long time, since 1991. Uh, when I was a student at Lipscomb, the, the next year, I remember Healing Hands being a conversation then. So it's um, it's appropriate, 30 years later, to be here talking about the great work you've done in the partnership with Lipscomb. Yeah, well, let's get to know you, Dr. McQueen, a little bit. Uh, for our listeners who may be introduced to you for the first time, you're married to Andy. And um, Andy played for the legendary coach Don Meyer. And here's my Andy story that he doesn't know and you don't know. So I remember Andy from going to bison basketball camps when I was in middle school back in the early 90s. And he, like what I remember, I mean, and during games, like he would just rain three-pointers like Steph Curry. (laughs) And uh, have y'all ever played one-on-one out in the driveway? Definitely not. Um, I have watched him play one-on-one with multiple people, including my son, and he still has the stroke. And he so still has he it. He still has it. This many years later, he's hard to beat. He did. I remember him from basketball camp. He, Mark Campbell, you remember Mark Campbell? Oh, absolutely. He was my coach and counselor when I was 13 years old at basketball camp. But I remember Andy also being one of those uh, Lipscomb legends that I looked up to. And he also has the distinction of he's hit more three-pointers than any player in Lipscomb basketball history. That's right. And uh, again, I think uh, my one basketball experience was during intramurals and I was in for approximately 30 seconds, lost the ball. And that was it for my (laughs) entire experience. So Andy is definitely the basketball legend in our family. Well, you you both bring so much to the table in your family. Y'all have two kids. Uh, Abigail, who's a university student, and Henry, who's an academy student. Um, and so now they, you know, uh, when you were on campus before, mom was on campus, and now mom's back on campus, just in a different role. And uh, so what about for you and your family, what all do you enjoy doing as a family? Like when you're outside the office, it's time to unplug, get away. What do the McQueens enjoy doing as a family? Well, I would start by saying we just enjoy being together. I mean, we are a family that enjoys doing things together, particularly travel. Uh, We love to travel to new places, maybe old places you keep going back to and experiencing those and having the fun stories that you retell from year to year as you travel uh, to to somewhere new or somewhere familiar. We also enjoy running together. So when we do get a chance on a weekend or if we have not been together for a while and, and we do vacation, we are a family that runs together. Now, I am the slowest of the group. That is impressive. Um, but, but I do. Not that you're the slowest. It's impressive. <laughs> it's impressive that you go running as a family. Oh, I mean, we, we, we can't walk around the block together as a family, and you go running. That's awesome. Well, we do spread out a little bit, but uh, it, that's fun because we do enjoy going out and doing something active together. We hike together. 
So things outdoors are always yeah. a lot of fun. I do remember we, I've run into you at Radnor Lake before. Absolutely. Absolutely. We love Radnor Lake. And when we were at the beach, that's the best place to, to run. And uh, we have some hilarious stories about our running activities on the beach. Yeah. What's one of your favorite family adventures you've done uh, uh, over the years? I know you, like you said, you travel. I know y'all went away this summer. What's one of your favorite family adventures that uh, would come to mind over the years? Well, it's the one that we talk about a lot when I was the brand new commissioner of education back in 2015. We had pre-planned a trip to France before I was named as commissioner. And so we were going to Normandy and Nice and Paris. I mean, it was the, the big France trip. And as soon as we landed in France, which was right around Memorial Day, something popped up at, at work at the State Department that I had to deal with the entire time I was there. And oh. of course, we were on this, what, seven, eight hour time difference. And so we have laughed about all the places that we were where mom was over on the phone <laughs> uh, dealing with an issue. And they were all having a big time and watching me and taking pictures and send it to me while I was on the phone. Um, but that was an amazing trip that we yeah. did together. But we have these funny stories about all the misadventures that occurred because I was on a phone call at some yeah. point. In oh, it. Well, Abigail and Henry may rib you about that. But they'll never forget that. They'll never forget family adventures. I mean, we um, that's great. So... Talk about, I mean, we're going to get into your being named Lipscomb president here in a minute, but just while we're on the topic of your family, how have they supported you in this season? Like, you've stepped into a role. It's not, it's not an easy role, um, but it comes with a lot of life-giving opportunities, but it's also very, very demanding. And I know Andy's got his full-time job. The kids are both in school. So how have they supported you during this new season as Lipscomb president? Well, before I did accept the role, I had conversations with all of them and certainly talked to them about, mom is going to step into this role. I want to make sure you are an advocate and you you would say, yes, this is something mm -hmm. I want you to do. So those were very important conversations to have mm -hmm. early on, particularly my daughter, who was about to be a freshman there. And I said, mom is now going to be the president. Are you sure you want to continue to go where I'm going to be the president? And she was so supportive and, oh, that's great. Um, uh, you know, so excited and has continued to be so that that certainly helps a whole lot. Um, and then just continued conversation. I mean, you have to communicate uh, as a family because we're all busy, no matter what your roles are. Communication is extraordinarily important. Don't assume anything. Stop. Mm -hmm. Say, this is what mom is doing, or this is what we're going to have to do, or these are some things that are going to be important this week and just want you to know it. Those types of uh, conversations actually go a long way mm -hmm. in just building trust and community with your own family, which you really, really need to do no matter what your job is. Yeah, and I know I can tell your family's all in just from uh, friends I have on campus and uh, just, the, I mean, Andy being right there beside you, supporting you, traveling with you is so great to see that partnership and that the McQueen team McQueen is in it as a family that's right and team McQueen is a great way to say it uh, we laugh about that um, because it rhymes but the team McQueen is truly how we have approached the, the role yeah so how about for you when you're not doing presidential duties uh, what, are, what are some of your interests? What are some of your hobbies besides running um, as you run as a family and like the others but just what are some of the interests and hobbies that you have that our listeners may be like, oh, I didn't know she liked to do that. Well, I do actually like to work in my free time. I know that sounds terrible, um, but I find when I'm not actually in the whatever the, the time frame is for work, outside of work, I like to str strategize, think. Um, 
read things that are appropriate for the job, but maybe mm. I've not gotten to during the week. I don't really consider that work, but yeah, that yeah. is actually a hobby. It's learning more about the job, strategizing. Helping prepare you for. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, I love to read about leadership. I am not a fiction reader. I used to be uh, when I was in high school. I've read fiction uh, voraciously, but I am now a significant nonfiction reader. So almost <laughs> every book I read is nonfiction. I love biographies, um, books in like cognitive psychology, books that yeah. are about education, books that are about leadership. And so that's where I tend to, if I have time, yeah. spend time um, reading. And I'll read five or six books at one time. So I'll, oh, my goodness. oh, that's an interesting, I'm going to go switch to this one for a while, and then I'll come back to it so I could have multiple books going on at one time. I would get so confused. <laughs> well, they're not fiction, so it's easier to, <laughs> that's it's easier. Easier to keep them So that, what's a book that you've read recently or that you're in the middle of reading now, either one, that you that has really spoke a lot to you and that you've really enjoyed? A book called Tempered Resilience by Todd Bolsinger is the latest book that I've read. And he uh, wrote a book called Canoeing the Mountains was his first book. But it is literally how you grow as a leader, uh, what he calls at the crucible of change. And he writes it from a Christian perspective. And so what does that mean to be in a leadership role, particularly as a Christian, having to lead change and all the different things that you encounter and one of the things that stuck with me from the latest book that he's written is he is very um, uh, specific about being a principled leader and knowing what your principles and values are and then be being willing to change almost anything else about an organization because a lot of things need to change and we don't tend to attack them because you don't even know who you are and what mm -hmm. you really want to accomplish. And so I've appreciated this idea of being willing to change anything outside those core values and those core principles to be more attentive to what people need and more responsive to what people need. And he's talking about that within the church, within nonprofits, uh, oh, within any kind of work that you do. Be willing to change outside of your core values and principles. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So if you're not running, you're reading. That's, That's probably good. true. That's, That's probably awesome. true. I like to fancy myself as a cook, but I don't do it very often. So. <laughs> well, with a full schedule and the, just the demands that you have, uh, just how do you keep yourself grounded? Uh, what are some of the disciplines that you have that help keep you centered on what's really important? Uh, easy question for me to answer because it has always been about prayer. I, I, that verse about praying without ceasing is truly how I've approached the day. I will start the day with prayer, I'll be in the car, and uh, maybe there is a song that comes on and it reminds me that I need to pray about a particular issue or um, something will come up during the day or I'm walking into a meeting, I'm in a prayerful mindset, right? I, don't, I may not stand there and actually, uh, you know, close my eyes and say a prayer, but it's a prayerful mindset mm -hmm. about God help me with what we're about to have a conversation about or give me direction and mm -hmm. you know decisions that are needing to be made or quite frankly sometimes it's a prayer of thankfulness and, and celebration for mm -hmm. something that's um, that's happened that you were, maybe was unexpected and you didn't believe mm -hmm. was going to happen for whatever reason so prayer has kept me grounded for many years it, it did when I was in sort of secular roles where uh, that may not have been the norm during mm -hmm. the day certainly at a place like Lipscomb we can pray in meetings, we pray very openly, but still doing that at a, at a personal level has been very, very important to me. And then, of course, I mean, I, I think for me, uh, scripture reading is important 
for a lot of reasons because it usually gives you a, a new lens or a new set of wisdom on something that you have thought about a hundred times before, but reading it again and applying it in a new way is very important as well. So um, those seem like things that you would just normally do if you call yourself a Christian, but I would uh, challenge us uh, to really be thoughtful about how do you do that in a personal way yeah. as well as what are you doing in a more collective or corporate way. Yeah, they're just at the core of who we are as followers mm-hmm. of Jesus. That's right. And, uh, you know, you can read the same scripture for 20 years, and you can wake up one day and read it and find something different that you hadn't read before. Exactly. And it's exactly. the same words on the page, maybe in a different translation, or it may not be. And it's like, oh, well, never read it that way before and sometimes that's because of different seasons of life and different parts of our journey that we're on that's right that's right and I, I think the other part of that is being willing to talk about that to mm. colleagues and people that you trust and mm-hmm. friends and relationships to say I'm reading this and this struck me I love when people do that for mm. me because it's just a reminder that we're all in a community and we're seeking truth and uh, that truth brings us comfort, and it also challenges us to be better. And so I love having conversations with people about what they're reading as well. Okay, so let's rewind for a minute back to when you were a student. So you got to campus as a student in the fall of 1992, correct? That's correct. And you became an education major. You were really involved in campus, which is one thing that I think students appreciate about you as president is like they they see you, but they also know your story. You were on the Quest orientation team. You were in a social club. Uh, You were Miss Lipscomb your senior year, and then you graduated in 96. So just talk about as a um, back when you were a student, what are some of your favorite and most impactful memories from your time as a student? Mm -hmm. I mean, I put bar none, it's uh, dorm life. I mean, I... You know, I hadn't experienced that kind of living before. You were living at home with your parents, and all of a sudden you have this roommate, and you're independent, and you're on your own. And you haven't experienced it since then. That's exactly (laughs) right. I mean, it's such a unique time period. And so I remember so many funny um, and, you know, spiritual moments, quite frankly, that happened in the dorm where you're having a conversation with somebody, and it becomes a deeper conversation. I had a sweet mate who was really struggling with a – a boyfriend relationship back home and I remember everybody in the suite you know would get around and counsel her or give feedback on what she should do and um, you know those were the types of things we were all in a community and we were trying to help people work through their own personal decisions. I had a roommate that was from a very different religious background than myself and we would have really interesting theological discussions about why we believed what we did and um, that was very meaningful to me. And the moments in the dorms when you just meet new people and you're around new people and they're not like you at all, but yet you've learned to actually really appreciate who they are. I mean, that's such a growth experience. So that would be number one. I loved everything about the activities. I mean, I was in Singarama. I was a student coordinator for Singarama uh, under uh, Sarah Keith Gamble oh, at the legend. time. Legend. I her two nights ago on the phone. Oh, she was She's amazing, so amazing mentor. And so I loved doing that and being involved in uh, Singarama, I think every year in some capacity. And then uh, working directly with the Quest team and, and getting to um, orient new freshmen, there's nothing like it. They're, they're fearful, but yet they're excited, and you're that person who is the peer helping them walk through that. And so I loved that. And I'd say the last thing is just everything I did in my major helped me grow. I was always out in clinical placements at schools teaching, 
because lifts can prioritize that even then we still do today it's like okay if you're going to be a teacher you need to pragmatically get out there and do it and so i had very early experiences getting to do that and that shaped you know who i became i think maybe more than almost anything else certainly the classes did and the mentorship and the people but getting to go out there and do that as early as a 19 year old Mm -hmm. uh, that does shape you to become a great teacher yeah. at some level we share a lot of similarities there i did singarama as well uh i would not be i was on the back row every year that's and okay yeah it chore- always matters choreographing on the back row i think one year i had lines and i said about seven words but um yeah sarah keith gamble uh, such a legend and so impactful in the lives of so many uh quest would have been one of my things that would be at the top of my list mm-hmm. just that empowerment and um to be able to help welcome and lead students so uh, that's great. And I think that, again, that's one reason students are drawn to you as president because you've walked in their shoes and you remember that and you tell those stories. Uh, but about your major, when did you realize that you had this passion for education and for teaching? Well, it was not the first day. I was actually a speech communications major when I walked in. A fun fact, I was a DJ uh, when I was in... DJ uh, McQueen. Yes, I was a DJ in high school and multiple summers in college. I worked at Q108 in Clarksville, Oak Grove, Fort Campbell, and I did the news. I would come in at 3 a.m. in the morning. I'd pull the AP wire. I would write the news, and I would do it on the stations in the morning. And then in the afternoon and the evening, I was a DJ, so I would literally intro songs and awesome. make witty comments. And so I thought I wanted to be a speech communications major when I started, but I would say quickly I decided I wanted to teach at some point. But are there any archives out there of you being DJ and if anybody's listening to this podcast and you have archives on um, cassette tapes please send them in. Wow well I hope they don't but um, I did have one of these moments where I was out on a remote site and I was the remote DJ out on site and people were trying to win a car and it was the person who could keep their hand on the car at the car dealership the longest won the car. And I was the person, you know, on the microphone, well, we're down to two people, and we think so-and-so is going to win. And I thought it was going to be over when we were down to two people. It was 36 hours of standing there, and I had not slept any, and I continued to do that remote um, uh, piece. So it is not all as exciting as it sounds. I remember thinking, why am I out here doing this? But it was exciting when we finally did get a winner. You walked away and you're like, that's why I'm going to education. Exactly, exactly. But but talk about that, going from speech communication to education. There's some similarities there. But um, when that moment happened and kind of what spurred you into doing that? Well, my family um, is in education. My mother is really my mentor. She's always been. She was a a very successful teacher, and then was a principal who won the National Distinguished Principal Award, got to go to D.C. and get awarded a a medal there for her principalship. So I wanted to be like her, and so there was this drive to really go into education in many ways because I saw the quality of life she had, how much uh, passion she had for it, and she loved students. I mean, she loved students. She liked seeing them grow and be successful, and she pushed them to excellence. And so it was a, uh, it was it truly came to me naturally because I saw that in her life, and I decided that's definitely what I want to do. And I still got to do speech communications. I was the um, one of the 
the, I guess the network folks for Bison News Network. So oh, I continued yeah. to get to do the news while I was at Lipscomb. So I, I itched that passion in yeah. other ways than, than education. And now you're on a podcast. I know, exactly, exactly. I mean, that, that played into it. So, but looking back, um, what did 22-year-old you think you would be doing right now? Well, I can say I did not think I would be the president <laughs> of a university or the president of Lipscomb University. I mean, when I was 22, again, my mother was my role model. I wanted to be a school principal. I mean, I, I legitimately wanted to be a principal even at that age. I was going to teach, um, get a, you know additional degrees, get a licensure to uh, work in administration, and I thought that was the path that I was on. And it, I continue to be in leadership roles in education in a variety of ways. But the funny story, I mean, I've been a dean. I've worked as a commissioner of education. I've been a CEO of an education nonprofit, but I've never been a principal. And so that one thing that I thought, well, that's what I'm going to do, I ended up doing all kinds of other leadership roles. And that's the one uh, that I never did. But all that to be said, I think you should never put yourself in a box. I mean, there mm. were opportunities that opened up. And, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, those were the right pursuits, even though I didn't do exactly what I thought I was going to do at 22. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of like your principal now of 6,000 people. <laughs> well, Just a in good a point. very good different point. way, different title and a very different role. But it, it's funny how God uh, brings that full circle. And you wanted to be a principal. And he thought, well, I've got bigger plans for you. I want you to be president of this university of 6,000. So you're still going to lead a school. <laughs> Um, but that, that's awesome. That's great to see how that, just how God has worked throughout your journey. So let's look back on year one of your presidency. So you started September of 2021, correct? That's and, right. Um, so let's talk about your first year as president at Lipscomb. Just, just first, you know, my, the question that like comes to mind is what does this opportunity mean to you? You know, being a president of any um, large organization is humbling. It's exciting. Uh, you can create vision. And there's so many things that you're able to do in that role. But being a president of a Christian organization and one where I got to experience what it gave to me personally is um, is really exciting. I mean, there's nothing like it. it I, I'm not sure I would have just wanted to be a, a president at any university. I mean, being a president at Lipscomb um, as a special place with a very special mission is very gratifying. Um, and it's a place that my parents went to school. It, I have a history there even before I went, and then my, my own children are experiencing it. So all the ties to Lipscomb also make it more important to be successful and to do a good job and to keep the mission at the center of the work that we do. The other part of it that has been uh, very special for me is getting to be back in a setting where I have direct involvement with students. Mm. Um, I, for the past eight years, while I was in education, being the commissioner of education, you were very much removed from students mm. for the most part. And being the, the CEO of a nonprofit that's national, I was also removed from students. So this has been very gratifying because now who you're actually serving, you are in community with every day. Um, and that has created, I think, for me, a different level of passion for this role than maybe some that I've had the last eight years. Yeah. So Lipscomb, um, as president, uh, you have uh, six about 6,000 students. And as I was telling them in the office the other day, uh, your students are anywhere from probably two years old in the preschool to 72 years old. That's right. Who's come back and got their degree or is getting a master's. 
you've got students from over 40 states, from dozens of countries, different ethnicities, backgrounds. Um, and it's really been great to just see and hear stories from friends about your interactions with students. So I'm glad that you said that, where you go to their meetings, they come knock on the door of your office, like maybe when you're in the middle of a meeting. Uh, I had a friend telling me that the other day, uh, might have been Landon, that was, uh, yes, yeah, students came and knocked on her door and she was free. And just how you support their ambitions and their journey. Uh, you stop in Bison Square, you care, you go to athletic events. Um, it's a different world. It's an ever-changing world. And so what makes Lipscomb students special today with all their different backgrounds and where we are right now in 2022? Lipscomb has a mission that I believe calls students here who want to do something bigger than themselves. They may not know what that is, and they may not be able to verbalize that exactly like I said it, and they may not even come fully having formed their faith but they come knowing there's something bigger than me. And we attract students uh, who really want to seek something that's big. They want to find purpose, they want to find meaning, and we happen to have the mission that has the ultimate meaning, right? This is, you are a person in God's story who um, can accomplish great things for God, not for yourself, but for the creator of the universe. And that is a different mission than many of our universities across the country. It's different than many of our institutions of any kind across the country. And so we attract students who I think desire that. Um, I also find that we attract students who truly do want to be in a community where they're trying to get better, right? They're not coming here to hide and um, not interact. They want community, they want to improve um, themselves personally, and they also want to figure out ways they can interact to move on something. They're very passionate. I think our generations that we serve right now are passionate about service. They're passionate about doing something that they can actually see tangible results. Um, they want uh, to be in an authentic relationship. They don't want this oh, kind of arm's length. If you're going to be the president of a university and connect with students, they want to know who you are. And you, you yeah. need to be in relationship and have some authenticity with them. Yeah. Tell your story. Let them tell theirs. Or I don't think you're going to have a good relationship with this age group uh, moving forward. So you are of the people. That's right. And, and I think it's important to be of the people and mm -hmm. listen and learn. And we've already made significant changes on things just by listening and saying, what is it that we can do better? And uh, we're going to continue to do that. I, I told students the, the very first day I was there, look, I'm here for you. We don't have a university if we don't have students. This is about you. Yeah. You are the reason why we exist, and we have a mission to make sure you grow and get better, and we want to be here for you, and I think that really does resonate. Yeah, and you mentioned listening, uh, and you very intentionally came in, like you mentioned, and you made it clear that you wanted to listen. That And from so many people that I've run into, you have, and before you made decisions and before you decided – um, how to shape whatever's next from students to faculty and staff, donors, alumni, the board, the community. You made listening a priority and at the, from the outset of your uh, appointment as president. So talk about the importance of that listening for you and why you made that such a priority and what have you learned from that? Well, we started early on with the President's Student Advisory Council, where we had students apply to be essentially an advisor to me in my first year. And so we started really listening to students. That was the very first group that we engaged. And then uh, I went around to all of the colleges to meet with the faculty and staff 
to hear what their needs were, asking very direct questions that could give me some feedback about where to go next. And then we did surveys with students, graduate and undergraduate, faculty and staff, um, the board, and a set of alums. And so we surveyed them and so we said, okay, is the focus group feedback we're getting and what students telling us the same as what we're hearing in this larger survey uh, set of results? I was so impressed with the survey uh, response rate. You typically get less than a third of folks to respond to a survey. We got something like 65% of faculty wow. and staff, close to 45% of students responded. And so we had a very representative sample of what did people want and also what were they excited about? What did they already feel really good about related to their Lipscomb experience? That ended up then kickstarting our strategic planning process. So if we had not done that, uh, we would not have been able to accelerate as fast as we have. I mean, we are going to be able to roll out a strategic plan in the fall after one year of solid engagement. Wow. And the reason we were able to do that is we really listened early on for a time period that helped us know where to start. We weren't starting with the blank sheet of papers. Like, yeah. well, wait a minute, we've just listened to all these people and here are the dozen things they've already said are our next level work. That's great. And that was the way I think we've accelerated so quickly. That's great. And um, to be able to just put that into action and to be able to put that in motion um, as you launch into year two, we've talked about students. Tell us a little bit about faculty and staff because you have um, a large, you know, hundreds, I think about over a thousand mm -hmm. employees at Lipscomb, mm -hmm. the dedication and commitment um, from from the faculty and staff at the university and the academy, because we can talk about what makes Lipscomb students special, but then you have faculty and staff, some who have been there 45 years and others who have been there about 45 minutes, and you uh, touch on that, touch on what makes, how they make the Lipscomb community special. Well, they truly are Lipscomb. I mean, it's always the people. The people are Lipscomb. Uh, the students come there because of the people, and they love the people that they uh, see in front of them. Our faculty and staff have a personality, I think, that is um, about service. It's a personality that screams, we want to be in relationship with you. And even those who are new that are still learning how to do that, they want to do that. They come here because they desire to do that and they want to get better at faith-informed learning. They want to get better about how do they get a, a, a true relationship moving in small groups with their students. They want to get better at how do they relate through their content and their discipline. Um, so I see our faculty and staff as uh, really the center of what we're trying to accomplish. They are the mouthpiece. They yeah. are the ones that will be on the ground making sure that everything we talk about actually gets accomplished. And so we've got to put a lot more energy and effort into them, mm -hmm. uh, training, professional learning, support, resources, because if they are happy, I've said this a lot, if they're happy, they're fed, they're feeling like they get what they need, then the students will ultimately benefit from that. Yeah, just an amazing group of dedicated faculty and staff. Uh, be a light. Um, this is the theme that came uh, after your appointment and throughout your inauguration in your first year. And uh, from the podium when you're speaking to a magazine cover, banners on campus, like website stories, you know, even part of the road trip tour that you took across the state of Tennessee and to other cities around the country, uh, that has been the theme for your first year's presidency. And what, t tell us, uh, why did you choose that phrase, be a light? Well, I think it embodies what Lipscomb is about. We are 
really set up on a hill not to point people to us, but to point people to God. So from Matthew 5, I think we, we really do learn that Lipscomb was never about glory for Lipscomb. It was never about glory for the president or glory for the faculty and staff. It was always about what can we do that points people toward God. And so it was appropriate as you think about a new era, a new chapter of a 131-year history that we really re-envision what does that mean today. Um, there are a lot of things in darkness in this world. Mm. I mean, a lot of darkness from people struggling with mental health challenges to people struggling with job loss to poverty. I mean, the darkness is there, and mm-hmm. we're seeing less and less people really in community within churches. And so how can Lipscomb um, be a light truly yeah. in a community that I think struggles with the darkness that ekes in to our existence? The other part of that from a historical perspective is I believe that's what David Lipscomb was all about. Yeah. I mean, I told the story at inauguration that I think is a fantastic story about him in the 1870s when Nashville had a, a cholera epidemic. He stayed in the city while most of the people who had any means left. And he um, wrote later about how frustrated he was that people left and didn't stay there and take care of the poor. But he literally would go around the city in his buggy and he would pick up uh, folks that were Catholics and from other religious organizations. And they would go out and feed the hungry, help the poor who were sick. And that is the example of what I believe he has set for us. I mean, it's Christ's example. It's the example that our founder set for us. And so we've done that through programs like Ideal, programs like the, the programs when we go out to the prison, um, uh, the life program, or ways that we continue to support nonprofits like Healing Hands. We've got to accelerate that work because there's more and more work to be done. Yeah. It's always there and to say this is who we are and to reemphasize that will be important for our future. Yeah, it's putting a stake in the ground. This is who we are and we are proud of it and we are excited to be able to serve and uh, from the top down, I mean, your administration to students to faculty and staff, like it's very evident in everything right now, Lipscomb-wise, um, I see be a light. Uh, what's been uh, one of your greatest joys from this past year? I mean, uh, we've touched on that a little bit, but just as you think back to 12 months, what's been one of your greatest joys? Well, you mentioned the Be A Light tour. I did not realize how much I would enjoy that uh, until uh, I can now look back and reflect on it. I was loving it in the minute uh, that we were doing it, too. We went to seven different cities, some in uh, the southeast, some outside the southeast, and we gave a Be A Light, a Shining Light Award to an alum that we felt like had uh, been a light in their community. And so I loved doing that, like shining the light on people who are in our community, meaning the Lipscomb community, and now they're out doing amazing things. And hearing their stories, getting to know them better, most of them that I did not know, and doing it uh, in a way where we represented uh, lots and lots of generations, Mm -hmm. people who may have graduated back in 1950 uh, to folks who were graduating within the last 10 years. I mean, that's been fun to see the amazing things people are doing across generations as alums. And then at the same time, we were bringing in prospective students from those cities. We were connecting with other alums who we'd not connected with in years. That was reassuring that there are people out there, almost 50,000 alums that we have across the country, who love Lipscomb. They still love Lipscomb. And they're like, I am so glad you came to us, as opposed to waiting for us to come to your campus. We are so excited that you came out here. So we are going to do it again this year. We're going to continue to go out into new communities that we haven't gone to 
yet and uh, continue the tour into this year because of the success in the first year. That's great. So if you're listening, be looking for those tour dates. That's right. That's right. We've already got some of our cities picked, so we're excited. So let's now talk about uh, the partnership between Lipscomb and Healing Hands. It's very unique. And some of our listeners will know this. We've talked about it on our podcast uh, this past year um, as we've celebrated our 30th anniversary. It was the fall of 1991, and Dr. Randy Steger, in his marketing class, he had a class project that was responding to a crisis in Eastern Europe. And what he didn't know at that time was when they backed up tractor-trailer loads, uh, 18-wheelers, full of... um, they were empty and students filled them with supplies to send to Eastern Europe. And this was a class project. And here we sit 30 years later and we're an international nonprofit serving, you know, dozens of countries around the world and never in his wildest dreams would Dr. Steger have imagined that happening. But there's just been this great history and collaboration and synergy between an educational institution and nonprofit organization. I mean, we have students who have come over in the warehouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, spring service day, we have students who come here. Uh, Healing Hands has provided medical supplies on Lipscomb mission trips. Uh, we've shipped materials for some of the engineering uh, mission projects where we shipped a bridge mm-hmm. to Guatemala and Honduras. Um, Summer celebration, where we are there and represent and uh, host a luncheon. At the academy, they focused on our Walk for Water ministry and the Magi Project. And then you have uh, just several people in the office who are Lipscomb alums, uh, Scott Saunders and Joe Smith and Grace Boucher, who's sitting beside me recording this podcast, and myself. And so there's just been this um, great collaboration history for years. I mean, our president, Art Woods, I mean, he worked on campus for several years. Um, in development um, and collaborated with you at the Academy. So just from where you sit now as president and from what you know about that history, talk about just how this partnership is unique. Well, it's unique in that we have a mission to serve. In fact, one of our core values that we'll be rolling out this fall is serve others. And we have this unique opportunity with a nonprofit that has many of our Lipscomb alums and has the same mission to be one. I mean, we we have that ability because we both are valuing the service to others. And we're an institution that I think really understands the value of serving others in faraway lands as well as serving them in your back door, right? Mission orientation is about wherever the gospel needs to be told, wherever people need help, wherever there is a person Uh, that needs a relationship, you're going to go. And Healing Hands has been certainly a a leader in that. And Lipscomb, in many ways, has been the recipient of uh, opportunities that we would have never had because of this partnership. I mean, when Randy Steger and his class developed this idea, I mean, who knew what it would develop into? But I love the concept of how the partnership with the Peugeot Center and our engineering students have now accelerated work that we would not have been able to do on our own. So again, there's synergy there that's hard to understand until you're the recipient of it and you're in that unique partnership. But Lipscomb has been much of a recipient of of, uh, what I would consider the mission that you have set as hopefully we've been a part of Oh, it goes both ways. We we have benefited and been blessed uh, greatly by that. And even back during your inauguration week festivities in March, Uh, This was just about a month after the humanitarian crisis in Ukraine had taken place. 
and you made it a priority for students to serve and give back. And we benefited through your inauguration, through the family bucket project, where uh, we have since uh, sent almost 10,000 family buckets to Eastern Europe. And in a, so in a moment where all eyes were on you, I love how you deflected attention to use your platform to invite others to serve alongside you. So first of all, thank you from all of us at Healing Hands for making that day special uh, for students, but for us, but for people on the other side of the world who we'll never see. Um, well, I wanted to tell you, I, I've asked students at the end of our beautiful day when we had the opportunity to do this with you, what was their favorite activity? And remember, on that day, we had a concert, we had roller skating in Allen Arena, we had food trucks, we had a brunch, we had fair rides all out. And I mean, two a one, they said one of my favorite parts of the day was getting to serve and being part of the bucket project for Ukraine with Healing Hands and, and, and that work. That's just a testament again to our students that they really do value this and they look for opportunities and when you present it with them, they're gonna take advantage of it. Yeah, this generation of students, um, uh, very selfless mm -hmm. and they wanna serve. They want to um, put others ahead of themselves and whether it's across the street or whether it's mm -hmm. on the other side of the world, Absolutely. like you mentioned. Um, let's talk about global citizenship. How do you see Lipscomb students becoming better global citizens in this day um, through right here in town and across the world? How do you, and you've heard the stories, you've met you've, the students that are on campus that you run into in Bison Square and the alumni who you've met on the Be A Light Tour. Um, yeah, how do you see the Lipscomb students playing a role as global citizens? Well, something we're going to talk about this year plays into this, and this is the idea of cultural humility. I think sometimes when we are entering a culture that's not ours internationally or here domestically or interacting with a person that's not exactly like us, we bring a lot of stereotype and bias and um, what we think is, is right to those conversations or to that interaction. And what I have found is really not coming to it with any preconceived anything, just being very humble, putting yourself in a learning role can help us be a better citizen, a better person, a better Christian. Like all the, all the adjectives and nouns you want to put in there, it can make us, us better. And so we're going to spend some time on what does cultural humility mean. We spend a lot of time on cultural competence, like there's some skill set that you'll need to somehow be able to learn how to be in an international setting and be great. Reality is, if you're different than that international setting, you probably are never gonna to be totally confident. And yeah. so there's always this level of humility that you need to bring to any of those interactions. And I think we're doing a good job at Lipscomb of giving folks opportunity to be in different settings and learn that cultural humility. I also think we're going to need to do more of that, provide more opportunities, particularly domestically. Mm -hmm. I mean, some folks just can't can't go places internationally. Mm -hmm. I think because of COVID, that's just slowed down more than I would like. And I think it will ratchet back up over time. We're working on that with our study abroad and mission trips and other things we do. But we've got to provide more things domestically. There's so much need right here in our city. Mm -hmm. And so as much as we can do to get students to connect to that need, uh, we have a new service club that will be focused on that. We have some new opportunities and some coursework that we're doing next year. Um, that will be focused on that. So I, I believe this will be a year where we will set a new foundation and a new normal for what that can look like at Lipscomb. Yeah, the world has come to us. That's right. Here in Nashville. And um, so serving our 
uh, brothers and sisters across the street and across the country and around the world. Lipscomb has done that so well for so many years and um, will continue. Uh, it's obvious it's going to be a, a huge part of going forward for, for what you're about and what you're doing. So tell our listeners just some of the exciting things that are on the horizon for Lipscomb coming up in year two. One of them that I'm particularly excited about that we just announced is our Center for Vocational Discovery. Uh, this will be a unifying opportunity on our campus that will take what we are trying to do to ensure students have a solid career and a solid career path with what they really want to understand about who they are and what their purpose is. Uh, that center uh, will be uh, also a place where we will have some curriculum opportunities. So we're rethinking our freshman experience course, the Lipscomb experience. Uh, we are putting some components in our required Bible courses that will be new. And we are going to have all of our freshmen in uh, the fall all in chapel together during their small group. So we're being very intentional about the first year experience with freshmen, particularly around identity. Who are you in God's story? What is your purpose? And then third, what is your vocation? Mm-hmm. But we, we've jumped to what's your major? What are you yeah. going to do? It's so much more than that. And it's about this larger mm-hmm. picture that you're in that helps you understand maybe what mm-hmm. should I do? Yeah. And we're going to try to connect the dots because generationally we know that this generation has so many co- great qualities, but they struggle with connecting dots because so many things are in silos. They do mm-hmm. things in silos. They go do this, they go do this. So we're trying to connect those dots for them. Uh, very, very intentionally about these things should flow and you should be reflecting and thinking about them in such a way. And we're going to have some retreats that are optional for our freshmen. Uh, we're going to be doing some strengths finders activities. So once students come in during Quest Week, they're going to learn what their strengths are and be able to talk about those throughout the year. So we feel like this center will be a unifying opportunity for many of the things we've talked about on campus, but how do you connect the dots so people see that they are all aligned in your life? That's fantastic. I read the story the other day that you, know, that you released announcing the center, and it was so exciting just to see about students come to campus, and you're right, they think, okay, what's my major? What am I going to do? But it's more than just what's that first job going to be. That's right. It's who you are. And that's what's unique about Lipscomb, that yeah. we can talk about it in mm-hmm. that much larger concept. It is. So as we wrap up, name of the podcast is It Takes a Village, mm. and we like asking each one of our guests um, just throughout your journey um, over the years, who are some of the people that have shaped you and mentored you and impacted you into who you are? Who, who is that village that you would look back on either then or now and um, be like, hey, I, I wouldn't be where I was today if it wasn't for? Well, of course, I'll say my parents. I mentioned my mother, but I, I should mention my father as well. They've both passed away. Uh, at at this point in my life, but, you know, my parents were extraordinarily influential in my life. My father was a minister, but he was also an entrepreneur, and so he had this unique um, experience where he had a full-time job, and he preached on the weekends, on Wednesday night, and Sunday morning, and Sunday night, and he typically preached at small congregations, and so he really knew them well. I mean, we knew them. Our family knew everybody we went to church with and ministered to them very personally, as well as, you know, as a church. So uh, he taught me a lot about what that should look like. And, but he was very much a, a person about excellence. He would push you to be better. Um, I'd come home and he would say, well, what grade did you make today? And I'd tell him, I made a 95 on my math test. He said, well, what was the top grade? 
he asked me this every time. I said, well, it was 100. <laughs> and he said, well, what do you think you need to do next time to get it to 100? And, like, he was always pushing you to be better. And that sticks with you. And I find I'm like that myself yeah. now yeah. with my own children, with my own expectations, for sure. Some of my parents, I would say if you fast forward, I mean, I have said this before. I mean, Bill Haslam, Governor Haslam, that I had the great opportunity to work for, I mean, he is a mentor. He's a person who's very politically savvy, very smart, but he is a Christian through and through, and mm. his faith helps him lead in whatever mm. situation he's been in. And so he was very humble um, in, in every situation I've ever seen him in. And so he taught me a lot about what that what that looked like. And then today, I mean, on my own campus, my goodness, I could speak to so many people that are faculty that I got to grow under. I mean, Richard Good uh, was one of my favorite faculty members when I was a student. And Satchem? I, yeah, exactly. Can I, mean, I refer I to him as Satchin on the podcast that's because right. that's how he introduces himself. That's exactly right. I mean, I just remember things he taught me then that are so applicable today about how we interact with people across the world that are in different contexts, and you are still, you know, working with them. So, I, I mean, I could go on and on and on about the people who are currently on campus, even mm-hmm. new people that I've just met that are part of now my leadership team. Mm-hmm. They all are providing me with um, – traits and characteristics and things that I can grow in. And so it's great to have a team like that that also pushes you to be better. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much for coming by our office and coming into the It Takes a Village podcast studio, also known as our conference room. We really appreciate it. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to come visit our office and to come talk. And we're excited to be able to release this episode and let our listeners uh, learn more about you and learn more about Lubscombe and your story. Thank you. And thank you for all that you do. Thank you, Dr. McQueen. I really enjoyed that conversation with Dr. McQueen. As we talked about during our chat, we've known each other for years, but it was great to just sit down and talk with her about her new role and her heart for Lipscomb, her vision for Lipscomb, and her desire to serve the students. Um, she has really invigorated campus and brought a lot of fresh energy. And having been a student on campus herself, she remembers what it's like to walk in their shoes. And having been on faculty, she can relate to them as she knows what it's like to stand up in front of a classroom uh, to teach and encourage and inspire. So thank you, Dr. McQueen. Thank you for coming on the podcast. And we greatly appreciate your time. Friends, thanks for listening. Go back and listen to any of our previous episodes from the first two seasons on whatever podcast platform that's convenient for you. And while you're at it, we'd appreciate it if you would subscribe, rate, and review, and maybe share it with a friend. You can also follow Healing Hands on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks to Taryn Foster and Kristen Harper for producing this podcast. Thanks to our friend Maeva for creating our jingle. And to kick off season three, this episode ending shout out goes to Linda Brock. Linda is new on staff. We want to welcome her to our Healing Hands family. She's our new administrative assistant who helps us keep everything between the lines as she welcomes our friends into the lobby and answers phones and has just been a great player for our team these last few weeks. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.